Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we will have honest, courageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. Back in February of 2020, I was so lucky to be able to travel to the Yukon and spend a week in beautiful Whitehorse. While I was there, I sat down with Stephanie Whitehead, a resource planning engineer at Yukon Energy Corporation on the shores of the Yukon River to record this episode for you. Stephanie has been working at Yukon Energy Corporation for over eight years and shares her unique insights of what it's like to be a resource planning engineer working for a small, remote, isolated utility with a grid in a geography and climate that are really not for the faint of heart. We chat about innovative technologies, approaches, and projects she is leading, and we talk about the importance of community, resilience, and women supporting women in the industry. She shares some of her favorite places in the Yukon to escape to, artists, authors, and sources of inspiration. I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to sit with Stephanie and have this conversation, and so thrilled you have tuned in to listen. Enjoy. We are live. Stephanie, such Hi. a pleasure. Thank you. I'm to, excited. To sit with you at Yukon Energy Corp and uh, on the shores of the Yukon River. This is a really spectacular location. I know. Sometimes you forget. I go to other people's offices. I'm like, oh, you don't look at a river and the eagles and yeah. the forest. And these incredible mountains were a bit snowed yeah. in today. But it is a totally spectacular location. And it's been such a pleasure. I'm falling in love with this territory. I know. It's it's dangerous. You yeah. come up for one visit. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, it's 10 years later. So tell me, is is that your story? Is that what happened to you? I'm curious about how you landed in this place. How I got here. My background is in um, hydrotech engineering. So I was working in Calgary. It was during the boom. Um, we decided to come up just for a, there was a seat sale. Um, came out to Whitehorse for a, like a quick kind of vacation. There's a couple of people I knew that had moved up here. Um, and within the, I think, 10 days that we're here, partway through, I'd, I'd met up with an old colleague and next thing I knew I was sitting in an interview with a consulting company and uh, and had a job offer a couple of weeks later. So wow. we decided to move up. Um, and uh, yeah, still here. So it was one of those, we knew we wanted to, 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 um, to make a move somewhere. And you know, white horse was on the radar, but it all happened pretty quickly, and it was it was really exciting. It was that's, really fun. That's awesome. Um, do you have a favorite? So you've been here for ten years. Yeah, do you just have, about ten years. Do you have a favorite Yukon destination or or view or like oh, your favorite man. place? You know, when you have different moods and they match different places. Mm. So, um, Chris and I were actually just talking about this, my partner who moved up with me. Um, I'd say one of the, the places that we've gone that is 
kind of one of our favorites is Atlin Lake, which is, I mean, it's technically in uh, northern BC. It's just kind of about an hour south of here. We've spent, you know, days at a time sea kayaking on there. Um, there's there's times where we're both just kind of stressed out. We're like, just want to go and walk on the beach on Bennett Lake. Um, we have our own little special fishing hole that we go to on a river and, and camp overnight. There's all these little spots that you just have to fall in love with. But. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you are currently a resource planning engineer. Yes. At Yukon Energy Corp. Um, what, I want to, I want to ask you about the role and what you do, but what drew you to this work? What was it about resource planning and engineering? What's kind of your academic background and what drew you to this, this work that you're doing? When I first moved up, uh, I was working in, in consulting, doing, um, engineering work around water resources, um, a lot of, uh, like watershed mapping, um, and Yukon Energy was one of the big clients, um, so I was doing that for a couple of years and then the opportunity to work for Yukon Energy came up and, um, it was actually in starting their energy conservation department. So a complete and utter 180, um, career wise, but I'd really enjoyed working for Yukon Energy as a client. Um, and I'd always been interested in efficiency, um, you know, my background's in civil engineering. That's how I got into like hydrology and that kind of stuff. So um, it was one of those like, let's go work there for a year, and and you know, s- then I can keep going, <laughs> keep doing the the hydrology work. But uh, eight years later, still here. So um, to begin with, was working exclusively in kind of energy conservation, um, rolling out programs that the that Yukon Energy delivered. That was the first time they they'd done. Uh, that kind of program. I think there was some maybe in the early 90s, but it was, you know, we're kind of building it from the bottom up. Um, And then, you know, just being here, it's a small company. And, you know, as as you've probably seen in your week here, there's no one that just has one job. So, uh, you know, I, I was here and um, you know, stuff started coming up like, oh, could you maybe help with, with this project? And could you help a little bit with this? And, um, you know, as, as I think happens to a lot of utilities as a regulator and, you know, the needs change, uh, energy conservation programs kind of ebb and flow. So, um, there was more than enough work that was needed, you know, we needed to get done here. So it started, um, you know, helping out with our resource planning in terms of project management and writing. And that got me really familiar with a lot of the other types of projects, such as, you know, new hydro, um, you know, diesel plants, pump storage. And um, at at this point right now, we're not super active with our energy conservation programs. We've got a new demand response program that just came out, so I'm managing that. But also at the same time, um, just have grown into being able to work on a whole bunch of different resources and then also just bringing DSM and energy conservation into the fold as as a resource that's considered next to all of the other supply sides. So um, join the resource planning group as opposed to just one kind of mm-hmm. entity floating out and by itself as energy conservation and uh, yeah, sort of grown into, into being an overall resource planner as opposed to just working on one specific resource. So Okay. Yeah. Anything stand out from your earlier days starting the energy conservation program? Anything that you're most proud of from those earlier days? 
Um, I, I think one of the things that was the most exciting here is that it can be the most exciting and also the most challenging is that um, we're such a small jurisdiction and we don't have a large team. So you end up having to be a, a specialist in, in kind of everything. So whether it's, you know, developing marketing material, talking to customers at public events, right down to um, doing the modeling for mm -hmm. cost effectiveness and, um, you know, procurement of, you know, whatever you're going to put in your energy saving kits and everything. Uh, you know, a little bit of everything. I've talked to other um, colleagues that are working in the energy conservation uh, programs and, you know, they might be the person who does, who runs one test on their, on their cost and benefit right. analysis. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I do that test and, and the other three tests and, and everything else. So, yeah. I mean, we've, we've always, you know, as a small jurisdiction and as a small company, we've had to rely on, you know, getting expert um, consultants when we need it and contractors. And, and that's been really fun just to, to learn, learn so much. But I think, you know, having a really wide breadth of experience and knowledge coming out of that um, was really exciting. So, you, and, and, you know, we, we started with, hey, we need an energy conservation program to see, like, I think the first time actually seeing all of the marketing mm -hmm. in the store and the first customer that put in a rebate form yeah. and, you know, the first event where we handed out our, our, our energy saving kits and, you know, or, and I think seeing like outside of work, having someone saying, oh, hey, yeah, you can get a rebate on that. I'm like, oh, that's, that's my program. Like it exists. Yeah. It's no longer a concept. Right. It's an actual thing. So that was really exciting. Like here, you could actually see the concrete differences you're making. Right. Um, you're not sort of, it's, it's not as, you know, theoretical. Right. So. Cool. Um, tell me a little bit about Yukon Energy as a company. So, like, what is the resource mix? Um, I know we're, we're on the river. Yep. Um, tell, me about, tell me about what goes on with, with, from a resource standpoint. So uh, Yukon Energy is primarily the generator of electricity in the Yukon. Um, we are an isolated grid, so we can't buy or sell electricity anywhere else. So we're mainly a hydro um, company, um, and we do use liquefied natural gas and diesel for um, peaking and emergencies, or um, as we have the case right now, we're in a, a drought situation, so we're reservoirs. So, um, but kind of 90% plus uh, hydro and so a mainly renewable grid. Um, and then we sell wholesale to Atco Electric, Yukon, who is the main distributor. So we have um, our hydro facilities in here in Whitehorse, which you're looking at out of the window, and then also in um, Asiac and Mayo. Okay. And then we have uh, uh, diesel plants in some of our other smaller communities, um, such as Faro and Dawson, as well as on Mayo. And then we have the big liquefied natural gas plant here. So, What are some of the unique challenges about being an isolated northern remote utility? Oh, there, there's many. Um, I think one of the things is we have to back up what we have. So... Um, we're a very small jurisdiction with not a lot of customers. So, um, you know, if when we're planning, we have to say, like, what would happen on the coldest, darkest night 
when our, you know, our demand is the highest and we lose our biggest generating plant. So we have to build and maintain something that would, you know, be able to, to step in in that case. So, you know, we, we can't say, oh, we can't generate enough. We better go and buy it from somewhere else. Right. Um, that's pretty yeah, common that's a practice. Pretty serious, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big difference. Yeah, and yeah. It, and it's also like when that happens, it's probably minus thirty five. Yeah, and it's life or death situation for yeah. maybe like for people that are heating with their homes or yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, um, but there's also a cost to maintaining mm-hmm. backup. Sure. Um, so, you know, and we're spreading around, you know, a small population. So we have to be very efficient, very innovative. Um, and and you know, there's all sorts of balances. So we have to keep our costs reasonable. We have to make, you know, that as every utility does, you know, you've got what are the environmental and social considerations. Um, but I think that that all amplifies in a very extreme environment and um, and not and having to be totally self-sufficient. Um, we also, uh, most of our customers are here in Whitehorse, but we do maintain the grid um, connecting, you know, communities such as Faro and Dawson and Mayo and, and down. And we've got transmission lines that go through, you know, a, a, again, pretty extreme in weather and environment. And, you know, we're maintaining those as well. So um, it's it's beautiful, but mm-hmm. maintaining a, a transmission line and, yeah. and uh power plants sure. in that kind of condition is it's challenging yeah the landscape is wild and expansive and beautiful and i'm sure yep. yeah when you're thinking about how is <laughs> how are the wires doing out there <laughs> <laughs> when it starts to snow or like you know the wind uh, the up. wind comes up you're just like oh yeah. it's, what's what's gonna happen so so can you tell me about some of the innovative technologies and things that are unique that you're looking at or thinking about or what? Yeah, you'd like to yeah. either see or you're exploring. So um, we're in a really, well, I mean, it's exciting and challenging. We're looking at, at ways to um, to increase our capacity while still maintaining our, you know, the renewable um, generation that we have. So one of the things that's really shifted in the last, I'd say, since I got here about 10 years ago, is that the majority of homes being built are now electrically heated. So our our demand for electricity has been growing extremely quickly. And, you know, again, we need to make sure that, that we can meet that and we can back that up in an emergency um, and, and do that in a, you know, environmentally and socially and cost-effective uh, way. Um, so we just finished doing our, another, um, we did a resource plan about three years ago and then we just updated it in a, what we're calling our 10 year renewable energy plan. So in it, we've got, you know, I think before we would probably look at things like a new diesel backup. Um, that's definitely always going to be part of what we have here for, for backup and emergencies. Um, now we're looking at, um, from a energy con- well, it's more of a demand side management side, we're looking at a peak shifting program um, with electric baseboard and hot water tanks. So that's on the residential side. Um, that's really exciting. Um, and we're also looking at uh, a grid scale battery. We've got mm. uh, we've started working on that project. Um, pumped storage. So that one of the things that happens here, as you can tell, we're a hydro system, but the the, the water's kind of hard right now. And uh, we get a lot of our flow coming in through the summer, but our demand is in the winter. Right. So the challenge is, 
what do you do with all this excess water? It's not, you know, it just, it flows down the river and, and we can't use it. So we're looking at a, a seasonal pumped storage uh, project. So that'll be pr pretty major, probably one of the bigger projects we've ever uh, looked at here. So, yeah. And then, of course, I think we, we want to start um, doing as much conservation and, and efficiency as we can. So there's, there's going to be a lot more happening in that soon, we hope. Excellent. Yeah, I was going to ask, how does and how does energy efficiency fit into the story here? Um, right now, I think again we have um, the government here has uh, some really you know we have a huge energy conservation program that's across all fuels um, and things like retrofits, um, you know, fuel switching, that kind of stuff. So that's really big. Um, one of the things that you know, this has happened in the past, but really benefiting from it now is the uh, the city of Whitehorse brought in some really strict um, building mm. standards in the city of Whitehorse in terms okay. of um, air sealing and insulation. So, um, oh, so the building code. Th yeah. Okay. So it's it, it's a bylaw okay. that that essentially is okay. is, is a building code. So. The, you know, it was interesting, especially going outside the jurisdiction. Sometimes you think you're, you know, you're really small and we're probably way behind everyone else. And, um, you know, I can't list off the numbers mm -hmm. in the building code right now, but, um, you know, I remember going to a couple conferences and hearing people being like, well, we're going to try and get our insulation up to this and our air sealing. And I don't know if we can make it. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's, that's easy. Like yeah. we're way past that. And I think, you know, there's some, some really good like financial incentives to, you know, that's a really high standard. Can you get 50% better? And, and our, you know, the, the builders here have, have met and exceeded that. So it's really mm -hmm. exciting to see that's cool. that, that that's happening as, as a market here. Um, so, and you know, the, the, the focus on climate change is, and, uh, electrification is going to, you know, we're probably going to see a lot more, um, EVs and, and continuing the electrification of heating, um, and, and building insulation. So, we're just looking at ways that we can, you know, very specific to electricity, you know, that, uh, what kind of programs that mm -hmm. we can put in. So, and, and how all that works together, you know, how are we going to, if you have yeah. six different organizations doing programs in a little tiny jurisdiction, we want to make sure that's done in, in, the, in the best way possible. So we're, uh, we're hoping that we can, we can roll out some pretty, pretty exciting stuff in the next year or so. Excellent. Um, what has surprised you? most about working in this sector and in the Yukon? I think anyone who gets into like a specific, you know, kind of focus area or they're working in, maybe it's healthcare, maybe it's energy or whatever, you get so engrossed in like what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You assume that everyone else has that same level of knowledge, but also that they, they care that much mm -hmm. about, you know, when you turn on your, when you turn on a light switch, where's electricity coming from? Right, right. But um, I, I think one of the things that, you know, it, it, it's been really, you know, I've always had to remind myself is that the majority of people just want peace of mind mm -hmm. that when they turn on the lights, the lights are going to come on and that they want to know that, you know, when they get their electricity bill, they're going to be able to afford it mm -hmm. and that they want to have some kind of peace of mind that we're doing it in a responsible way. And, yeah. and they're, they're not you know, they, that, that's, they've got lots of other things going on in their life and, and that's not their focus. So, you know, we'll be talking to customers and be like, okay, well, you know, what kind of furnace do you have? And they're like, I, I guess it's electric. I'm like, oh, okay. 
so you know what, what kind no it's because they have an electric thermostat that's on their wall and they actually yeah. have like a propane or an oil furnace and um, that's fine that's all the, that's as much as they want to know but it, yeah. I, I think it was a, like it's something that I have to keep remembering that um, when 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 we go out and talk to people there's a certain level of energy literacy and do people want to know more maybe but also we're not their priority or for some people we are. Yeah. Some people, like we have a, I think compared to a lot of other jurisdictions, we have a very engaged population mm -hmm. here. Yep. Um, but, you know, it, it, I think it's really important to keep on remembering, you know, that, you know, we're, we're an essential service, particularly when it's cold and dark. Um, but not everyone is as engrossed in, um, you know, the, the complex energy system as right, we are right. and they don't probably have a, a good understanding of how complex it is because it looks really easy yeah you know it just it, it arrives at your house and yeah and so and i think in in terms of the yukon um sometimes i forget how remote and mm. um isolated we are and i, th I think it makes um it means that everyone, you have to keep looking after each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are a city. Um, and I don't, you, you start, you kind of stop noticing it after you've been here for a while. But then you, you leave and go outside. And it's like, if you see someone broken down, you're probably going to pull over, make sure they're okay. And, you know, it, mm -hmm. especially as a professional, um, you know, if I'm working with someone, even if we're, you know, on opposite sides of the table, we're not getting along. You have to maintain that that respect and that professionalism because you'll probably see them at a potluck yeah. the next yep. weekend. And I think it's, you know, you should always maintain that kind of um, behavior, but it's really important here. Like relationships and, and your, you know, how you, how you carry yourself in all sorts of situations, it, it will carry over into your whole life. So I think that's, mm -hmm. it's, sometimes it can be frustrating because... You know, it's it's a Saturday morning and you just want to quietly get your coffee and go on your way and oh, someone recognizes you from that meeting that you had about and they want to talk about it and you really just want to get your caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's it's really nice to know that there's yeah. there's still that that um that kind of community and that recognition and and uh I mean it, it, I think it, it it helps to to keep things on a, a much more even keel yeah. in some ways. Totally. I even noticed it even at the airport and flying here yeah. on the flight. I'm like, lots of people know each other oh, yeah. on this flight and are like just catching up. And and it really, I could feel it even, yeah, at the departures gate in oh, Vancouver. And it was, you get there and you're like, oh, like we flew in. We went on a, a vacation and came back a couple of weeks ago when we got to the departure lounge and I didn't know anyone. <laughs> and I was kind of shocked. And Chris and I were like, this is, I don't know if this has ever happened before, you know, like. So, so it is nice. Like yeah. you, you do know people and yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a special, it's a special vibe from, 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 uh, yeah. Departure gate onward. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so kind of building on this theme of community, um, I think it was in January or maybe in the past month, um, Yukon was the coldest yeah. place on earth. It was cold. <laughs> And, and for a long time too that was the other thing it was cold for quite a few weeks yeah and so. 
And so, you know, talking about resiliency and mm -hmm. community and looking out for each other, um, all in a scenario where you have an, this isolated grid, yeah. like what, what do you see as like energy resiliency and community resiliency? Can you just talk to me a little bit about like what that experience is like here? Yeah. And I think I'll talk from the perspective of the utility a, a little bit. Um, I think that, I mean, if you'd been here, it, it was like watching an ant nest, like every single thing, you know, we were running flat out for, for two weeks straight. Um, and I mean, our operators, our control center up here, they, they take that so seriously. And it really shows in the fact, like we didn't have a single outage in that whole um, cold snap. And um, we hit peaks higher than we've ever hit before. And, um, you know, by the end, I think everyone was, was ready for, you know, warmer weather and a little bit, you know, a little bit of a breather. Um, and, and during that, I mean, we have, it's, it's everyone, it's not just our employees, like the, the people who are bringing in our, our fuel, so our fuel truck drivers. And, you know, if there's people that have to come in and like service some of the equipment that we're running, um, employees here that, if, you know, if, if anyone would have asked something of you at that point, it's mm. like, yep, nope, got it. No problem. I mean, we're sitting over here in the office typing away on, yeah. on whatever report, but it's, you know, the guys in the plan are, are making sure, make sure the lights stay on. Yeah. And um, it, one of the things that was, was really amazing to see was uh, our communications manager here took a picture of a couple of the guys and it was, um, you know, it was not that late in the evening, but pitch black and you could tell it was cold and put it on Facebook with just a quick thank you to, you know, our operators and the number of responses just from random people in the community just thanking, thinking, mm -hmm. like acknowledging the fact that it, it is hard work and everyone's working towards it. And, uh, you know, our, our minister came over and, and said thank you to the, so it was, mm. it, it was really nice to see that the yeah. fact that people were appreciating the amount of work that it took to, to, you know, it's, it's a delicate system in an extreme environment and, and it, it worked. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the team was, the team was amazing. So, and, and, but seeing awesome. that appreciation being expressed, like, I don't know if you'd see that in very many other, yeah. other places. So. That's awesome. Yeah. And then tell me about what, um, so what it looks like when you're in a peak demand, um, situation with the, uh, with the generators going as people drive into town, what do, what do they see? Yeah. So I think one, one of the reasons that we do have a pretty engaged population here is, um, as you drive into downtown, you will drive past our, our main facility here. And that's got our, 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 you know, four hydro units. It's also got our liquefied natural gas as well as our diesel plant. And because we're in a, um, a capacity, um, shortfall right now, we actually have a number of um, big rental diesel generators that are sitting in our parking lot. They come in, you know, late fall. We have them here over the winter in case we need them. So if you were driving down the hill into downtown um, and everything was running, you know, lights are on, you can see, you know, there's, there's lots of people running around, but it's also, you know, all the generators are running, all the hydro units are running as, as much as we can with mm -hmm. our water in the winter. And uh, it, it was it was pretty impressive to see the yeah. amount of like activity um, that was going on. And I think that's, that's something it's, you know, our, some of our other um, plants, they're, they're not right in, sure. they're not right in downtown, but yeah. um, here people are aware when right. we're running it. The other thing that's, that's pretty interesting is we, on our website, we have a graphic that's fed real time from our system that shows how much hydro we're running and how much of our um, diesel and natural gas that we're running. And, 
the couple times that that's that's gone down like mm. there's actually quite a, there's a lot of people who look at that they check mm. it out they make you know if in the middle of the summer when you're not expecting to have diesel running and we you know we have to do run-ups if, if the diesel is running we'll get calls asking like what's, what's going on, on? Right. <laughs> what's happening yeah. so people um, are paying attention yeah, yeah. And, and they see it and they know and so I think that's you know as well as being in a small community we're you know visually there as well very interesting um, another thing that's kind of Im- been an impressed me, um, that's left an impression on me this week in the Yukon, is how visible, um, integrated, and active First Nations culture is here. Um, kind of in the day-to-day meetings that I've been in, yeah. sessions that I've been in, um, hikes that I've gone on, signage, like it's just more visible than what I'm used to seeing in, in Ontario. Um, and to me, it's refreshing. And yeah. I think like a real sign of hope in terms of what reconciliation could look like, mm-hmm. um, relatively speaking. So I'm curious with National Spotlight on um, what's out to hand now and the Hereditary Chiefs and energy projects and land mm-hmm. and 14 First Nations with diverse needs here. How, what's it like for, what's, what's, what's Yukon Energy's relationship with First Nations? How important are those relationships? How does that, what does that look like? Um, and I think in, in terms of kind of from a, a big corporate perspective, how our relationships, that's, you know, not something that I deal with uh, on a daily basis, but um, one thing that, you know, it, it's so ingrained in the way we work here. And when we leave, I realize that I consider best practice, but maybe maybe it's not, is that, you know, we have um, 11 of our 14 First Nations that are um, settled under the umbrella final agreement. And we, we work with our First Nations like any other government or, you know, or regulatory body. And um, that there's, that's just how we have to do things like there, there's not a question of oh should we've got a project or we've got this going on you know the, one of the first things we do is like hey wh- who's who's traditional territory and what what settlement land is there you know and it's um you know we're f- far from perfect yeah um but i i think that's you know i, I was surprised having come up from alberta um just the way we have to do things here, I, it, for me as a you know an engineer, um, it just it 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 makes it, it feels a lot better yeah. in some ways. And um, you know, we've uh, and this is a project that I'm not um, heavily involved in, but um, relicensing of our Asiac facility, you know, trying to do that um, in partnership with the First Nation. It's been like a very long and challenging road, but it, it's. You know, I, I think that, that we just assume, like, that's the way mm-hmm. you, it should be done. Mm-hmm. What um, does that mean, relicensing? Um, so we have a water, a, a license to use the water at um, each of our hydro facilities. So how high we can let our reservoir go up to and, like, kind of low supply level, high supply level, different flows. So all of the um, the regulations that are around our, our use of water okay. at each of our facilities. Um because some of these facilities are, are quite old, like they were, you know, they were built and they were put into place when, you know, there, there wasn't that, 
the same kind of um, partnerships with with First Nations and local communities. So, um, you know, you're always evolving. I'm sure in the next 25 years, when we have to relicense that facility again, the best they'll probably look back and be like, the best practices have have evolved, e even to that point. Yeah. But you know, you know, every single you know, every single time we do something, it's like how how can we do better in yeah. in involving, making sure that. First Nations are involved. We have a First Nations procurement policy. It's a huge part of our population. It's not. It's not divided into, yeah, different communities. Yeah, yeah, cool. Want to bring it to the cold climate demand response pilot yes. that we're working on, and that you mentioned earlier, um, as we were chatting. So, can you tell me about? this cold climate demand response yeah. pilot that, uh, yeah, that we're launching right now. So we're calling it Peak Smart. That's the name of the program. And um, so a lot of our peaks right now come from um, electric baseboard heating as well as, as the use of hot water. So you're getting up in the morning, everyone's having their showers, heat's coming on, um, you know, and in the evening, people getting home, they're doing laundry, they're cooking. And again, um, with heat and lighting. So what this program is doing is it's putting in Wi-Fi um, connected uh, baseboard thermostats as well as hot water tank controllers. So for the most part, homeowners just, you know, carrying on as usual. They now have a fancy um, heating and thermostat system so they can, you know, if they want to go in and try and um, reduce their energy usage doing that, it makes it a lot easier for them. Um, and then when we start to hit a, a, what we'd call a peak event, so that would be kind of the, you know, hours between like 7 and 9 in the morning or say 5.30 and 7.30 in the evening, um, we can use a dashboard that will go in and it communicates with all of these different thermostats to um, bring someone's heat down or heat set point down by say one to two degrees and for one house that's you know a small difference but if you have a lot across the whole territory and we're looking we're aiming at having 400 um, that can actually make a big difference to what we see as our demand on the system so um, there's different ways we could meet it we could either you know work with customers to help to reduce that demand which is this is what's trying to do or you know we could try and generate more to meet that demand so traditionally it's always been focused on making sure we can generate enough and now we're getting into the realm of well let's see if we can actually shift um, customer usage away from um, those peak times so yeah and it's unique that it's a cold cold yeah. peaking there's, there's climate uh, similar utility. systems yeah there are similar programs that are around um, air conditioning yes um, I think there's a couple that are around heating but uh, yeah there's not as many so mm -hmm. that's neat well, we look forward to the results. Yeah, so it's we've just started, you know, installing and learning a lot along the way. But I'm 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 really happy at um, how much support has gotten, and you know, people are I, I think as well because people notice again as we we're saying, you drive yeah. past, you, you you they know what their utility is doing, and um, there, there's a lot of people who want to participate from an environmental perspective, but there's also a lot of people who just they want to be part of the solution okay. for like the Yukon and yep. you know okay this is a great way to kind of pitch in and help and that's been yeah it's been great to see that that's a really great learning too mm -hmm. that's fun um on each podcast episode that I do have plugged in mm -hmm. I ask some questions of my guests about their experience as a woman in the sector yep. and I'm curious as an engineer um what has and in your as your in your role right now? What has been your experience as a woman in the sector? 
Um, I think that, well, one, here in the Yukon, I think as an engineer, there's, there's a, um, a push by Engineers Canada, and particularly, you know, the different chapters territorially and provincially to have a, um, increase in the, uh, the number of women who are registered engineers. So we have a really, um, you know, a, a lot of the women who are registered here get together regularly, talk, you know, what are the issues, what are, what are barriers, that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, having talked with a lot of them, my experience here, like I've had a very positive experience. Um, I work with, you know, a lot of different professionals as well as a lot of different trades. And, and for the most part, um, I, I don't feel I get treated um, that differently. And uh, compared to some of the stories that I hear, I, like, it's, it's, you know, I, I think I've been extremely lucky. Um, and, uh, I mean, th there's always going to be that, th those awkward moments where you walk into a meeting and someone's, you know, they know that they're sitting down with the engineer that's doing whatever and they're, and they're waiting for the engineer to, to come into the room. You're like, oh, that, that's me. There you go. There you go. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that's been, you know, learning a lot about some of the, you know, d different, there, you know, there's there's minor challenges, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've noticed I'm not the loudest in meetings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and it's really easy to be talked over, that kind of thing. I think a lot of women experience that. Um, and uh, one of the, the really interesting conversations that I've had with a couple of, um, you know, a couple of, colleagues especially like other men is that you know there's in the case that they're in a meeting and someone makes a comment that's maybe not particularly um appropriate especially you know if it's a very sexist comment um I, I don't think that happens very often or it's not as blatant as it probably was maybe 10 20 years ago um how are they supposed to react like and, and you said that you, you've had someone on this podcast talking about you know being an ally and mm -hmm. There's yeah, there's just been some really like interesting conversations, and I'm like, I I don't know if I know <laughs> know the proper answer to that. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think um, definitely my experience has, has been probably better than most. I think, but uh, yeah, but still some conversations to be had, right? Like, oh, for sure. What? Um, yeah, it's like it's subtle stuff, right? Yeah, and I think that, you know, we had that conversation, I forget who I was talking to, and they were like, back in my day, you know, when someone was, made an inappropriate comment, it wasn't like, oh, was that, did he mean, what did he mean? It was like, it was, it was blatant, and it was, you know, it was shocking, whereas here, sometimes you're like, yeah, it is very subtle, and you're like, what was that, what was that based on? So, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, and the one thing is that, like here, and and I hope that that's that happens everywhere else. That that women are definitely supporting each other in the workplace mm -hmm. a lot more than um, yeah they have in the past. So it's critical. Yeah, it's it's huge, and and I, I think those conversations are happening as well mm -hmm. in terms of you know you know one of the things that I've noticed, and, and it's not it's not bad or good. Um, is, you know, when I go to, say, a, at a construction site or, you know, one of my projects and, you know, especially, especially some of the older older men that are there, they're, 
incredibly polite and want to be helpful and want to carry things and open the door. So people are like, oh, I can't believe you let them, you know, why, why is he doing that? And I'm like, that is their way of showing respect. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe you don't feel it and, and some people think it's okay and some people don't. And it's, I think, it's almost like incredibly confusing time, you know? Right. It, like, yes, I'm a, I'm a very capable person. I can lift that. I can do it. Um, you know, I have done a lot of field work. I've done, you know, been around lots of different construction sites. Um, but at the same time, it, it is someone trying to make sure that, you know, are you safe here? Are you comfortable here? <laughs> sometimes you get that, sometimes you don't. Yeah. But it's just, you know, is that appropriate? Is it not? Like, so it's, it's, and every single person is different. What I, what I, you know, that, that's very nice that you're doing that. I appreciate the effort that you're trying to make here. And then I see other people who have the same experience and they find it incredibly disrespectful or, right. you know, so I don't say it's, personal. it's very personal. Mm-hmm. It's very open. It's mm-hmm. like, there's, again, as you said, there's lots of conversations going on right now and, mm-hmm. you know, what do you expect? And I think it's just like, you know, is everyone, is everyone trying yeah. to, you know, to be respectful, to be, yeah. um, you know, to make everyone feel like they can get their job done. Right. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, yeah. you know. Who inspires you, Stephanie? Wow. That's a big one. Um, there's a lot of different, like right now, I think one of the things that, that I'm finding really inspiring just from a like, big picture, not just even career-wise, is people who are just incredibly positive mm-hmm. and have a lot of self-agency. Um, I've just been reading the like one of my favorite authors, Elizabeth Gilbert, and her, her book, Big Magic, and just the kind of stuff that she puts out. Um, Brene Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, the, there's so much, like, you know, social and political stuff that, that just seems really, like, the world is falling apart and yeah, it's heavy, heavy and it's and bad dark and, yeah but at the same time there's so many people who are just like they're there's so much good like what can we do and you know they're not pretending that everything's amazing and and yeah. everything's rosy but there's a lot of of really really strong really optimistic women who are starting um i mean glennon doyle well glenn doyle melton yeah I, I think she's just going glennon melton yeah. right now those kind of um and they're not particularly in any diff- specific, you know, discipline or whatever. But it's just seeing someone who's like, they're positive and they're powerful yeah. and they're doing, they're making change happen in whatever yeah. way. Um, and I, yeah, and I think those. using their voices, right? using their voices, yeah. Totally. And, and, and sometimes, you know, they're, they're incredibly real and they're, they're incredibly imperfect and it's, yeah. You know, and sometimes you laugh and some, it, it, but those kind of people, and it's not one specific person, mm-hmm. but you just see those people and you're like, yeah, yeah. Like, I want to be more like, I yeah. want to be more like them. Yes. Um, totally. So, yeah, those, those little, are great examples. <laughs> I don't want to go off that topic. It's so good. <laughs> we could do a whole <laughs> podcast on that. <laughs> um, a favorite uh, northern artist or music or any oh. like Yukon local yes. artisan that you want to be promoting oh or yeah telling the <laughs> listeners about I love Stephanie Ryan okay. okay she's one of my favorite artists we definitely we have a we have a tiny little house here um mostly because we have to heat it as well as clean it I guess <laughs> and uh we were you know we got here and there's so many beautiful artists um but yeah her stuff I remember getting up here and, and 
that was one of the first ones I saw and it, she just captured the the colors and the feeling of the Yukon um and uh, is she a watercolor she, yeah she's yeah. mostly watercolor and uh so one of the things that you notice or I remember noticing when I first got up here is there's some northern artists and you look at the colors and you're like are you kidding me like really <laughs> and then you get up and you're like oh yeah no those are the colors of the sunset and the yeah. way that like the oranges up in the like the northern mountains look and those people who can capture those are, yeah. yeah yeah I was thinking there's this is a place that must inspire just such incredible artwork and creation mm-hmm. oh yeah and creativity Perfect. because the landscape is just awesome yeah yeah I just want to say like it's been it's been so great working with you guys it's mm. you know that's one thing about, you know, it's, it's a pro and a con, but working up here, um, sometimes, it, you know, there's not a lot of other people working in your um, whatever area you're specializing in. And it's so exciting to get to sort of branch out and, and you know, hear about experiences in other jurisdictions and work with, um, you know, companies like yours and, and just kind of chat. It's so nice to, like, you know, when you're struggling with a question, looking around like, oh, no, I know who might know the answer to this one and be able to just pick up the phone and halfway across the country but mm-hmm. you know it's it still surprises me that you know I'm having this challenge up here in the Yukon like oh yeah we've, we've dealt with that before you know mm-hmm. we're different but we're not that different so mm-hmm. yeah it's been cool. fun awesome well it's absolutely a pleasure and uh thank you so much thanks for your time today you got a magic place up here it's true thanks for having me well thanks for coming up <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm having so much fun bringing this to you and I hope you enjoy it as well. Let me know what you think. Share it, rate it, leave a review. Reach out. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. All the info can be found at pluggedinpodcast.ca. I am super thankful for all the love and support behind the scenes. Some special call outs to Ercilia Serafini and Summer Hill for supporting me with the time to explore and work on this personal project. So appreciated. And finally, to my guests, thank you for being the inspiration. Join me next time on the Plugged In Podcast.